0: Mr. Mark Fly to talk about <laughs> to talk about uh, understanding air condition heat pump ratings. Mark, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Good, good. Well, we're glad to have you. Let yeah. me get some uh, screens here situated. And again, you know, if you're watching, just the uh, all the links are below to your Pdh certificate. If you if you're watching this in the future and you're on. Uh, let me see here, YouTube or our podcast, just check out the show notes and we will, you have my email address in there and you can email me um, at that time. So uh, yeah, so I've known Mark for quite some time. Mark has been a frequent guest on our YouTube channel and and podcast, talked about many topics. I don't think we've done this one yet. So I'm looking forward to this one. This is one of those that's, uh, it seems like I should know everything about this, but after 20 something years, I'm I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot today. So it's one of those (laughs) kind of things. And I know we got a lot of questions in the industry. So, Mark, why don't you take a minute introduce
1: yourself and take it away, man? Okay. Um, so, I'm Mark Fly. I'm my title is the Executive Director of the Norman S. Bjornson Innovation Center, which is the laboratory at Aon. That was kind of because that was my last pre-retirement job, and uh, my current pre-retirement job, because we can't come up with a good title for it, is I'm I'm a paid DL so two days ago I was in your Nashville office doing some seminars for for uh Hobbs in Nashville so uh and we appreciate it and talking at ASHRAE meetings so that's kind of what I do and this this presentation is one of my DL lectures one of my ASHRAE distinguished lecture lectures that I give and it's uh so I'm an old guy. I've been around a long time. I have lots of stories. So I will try to keep my stories down to an hour.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> so, can hear a lot of them on our YouTube channel, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I
1: know. And, and,
0: and then on everything great. I
1: say, uh, Tony turns into sound bites for the next three years. So.
0: That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> so, be careful when you come on the show. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah,
1: yeah. You always pick out those things that uh, oh <laughs> yeah, <for> that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. So um, awesome. So. So you want, you ready for me to start? Yeah, go for it. Whenever okay. you're ready, my friend. Okay. So, so really this is a, you know, this is about what unitary air conditioning and heat pump ratings are, but it's, it's a little bit of a history lesson. Cause I always, I always like to understand where things come from and how, how the sausage is made. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of how the sausage is made part of this. I'm not going to teach you how to calculate a variable speed, uh, seer rating because i don't know that i could do it anymore but uh, (laughs) but 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 i can tell you kind of what they are and what's important on them so uh you know so basically we're going to go through the certified ratings and where they come from and and how complex this has got in the last few years since since doe has entered the picture and 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 the interaction between all the different parties that go into making and setting these energy levels when they come up every year so Mm-hmm. or every three years so so you know we love acronyms in hvac and the u.s government loves acronyms so you know ASHRAE used to be the american society of heating refrigeration and air conditioning engineers now we just call it ASHRAE because because we decided we didn't want to just be american anymore but uh, uh but there there's a lot of different organizations in here and so the first one i'm going to kind of talk about is is the ASHRAE part of this so ASHRAE's been around a very long time and and been developing standards. And the, the thing I really like about being involved in ASHRAE and the way they go about things is these are truly consensus standards, which means it's not made by manufacturers. It's not made by consulting engineers. It's not made by government officials and um, you know code inspector people. The standards that come out of ASHRAE, are developed through the ANSI standard ISO and ANSI standards process, which means you have to have balance in those committees, and and they are uh, uh, thoroughly reviewed um, processes, and 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 so that you know they're really in depth as far mm-hmm. as as how the standards are made and. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know that in, on when ASHRAE puts together a standard, uh, they they you know part of that process is they put it out for public review and and some of that stuff that ASHRAE sends you all the time if you're an ASHRAE member uh, says hey such and such a standard's out for public review well you can go review that standard if you make a comment that committee has to respond to that comment uh, they don't have to agree with it but they have to respond to it so I can remember. You know, years and years ago, they were working on a standard on environmental tobacco smoke. You can imagine how popular that was, mm. uh, you know, because people in casinos and hotels back, back, back before smoking was not hardly allowed indoors anywhere. Uh, so, you know, they were trying to figure out how to make a standard for that. And so they got 100,000 review, I mean, comments on that standard. Uh, so, so they didn't, <laughs> that standard never happened, Right right because no one was going to be able to respond to hundred thousand comments but you know that's that's the good thing about it. and so what AFrae does is it develops the method of test it it decides what temperatures what kind of tolerances you have to have what kind of facility you have to have to test equipment so uh and, and these are consensus stand are really consensus standards which means that you know they have uh uh, broad acceptance. It's really made, made by the HVAC community at, at large with all the parties represented. So, um, very, very, very mm-hmm. precise and accurate. The next player in here is, is, uh, HRI and HRI is the listing agency, you know, uh, been listing equipment for over 60 years. So it's, you know, more than 300 manufacturers around the world, basically, uh, list equipment. Now, HRI is a trade organization. So you, I don't belong to HRI. I'm active in HRI. My company Aon belongs to HRI. So, so, um, so no individual um, belongs to that. So they also make standards and they typically make the listing standards. They, they decide how many tests you have to do to certify a product and how often do you have to retest that product and how do you keep those uh standards you know trustworthy and accurate o- over time so so um so, but because they are an industry trade organization you know they don't have the broad um consensus they don't have all the parties at the table all the time to do that uh, to do that so that you just so they are following the ASHRAE stance so basically what we say is that HRI develops the listing standards how, how do you determine that your your product meets a certain level, <clears throat> and uh, and Ashray says, "Well, how do you test it to to get there?" And and really, the most important part is how you test it. So,
0: hey, Mark, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I think um, Courtney and Heather, I think we're offline. I think we have to refresh the browser. Hey, we handled that like a couple of pros there. So anyway, we're back live. I hope you all could see us. So continue, Mark. Sorry about
1: that. Okay. Do you, how far do I need to back up? Do we know? Where I think I you were out? good
0: on this slide. I think it was really just the okay. last minute there. I okay. think we caught it right so, at the cutout. So, so all right. Well, um, get some of the things
1: out of out of my screen here.
0: Yeah. Take your time. We um,
1: we were talking about AHRI. Yeah. So yeah. So like I said, AHRI is a trade organization. They do the listing standards, and they have. For years, had an agreement with ASHRAE. And so, prior to 2013, when DOE entered the picture, then it was kind of HRI and ASHRAE would get together. And every time a new standard of 90.1 would come out, uh, HRI and ASHRAE would work together. And as you go, you know, as you know, Tony, you know, they always tell student groups there's only two dozen people in the HVAC industry, and we all know each other. <laughs> you know, so it's a very small group. So you go to the HRI yeah. committees, you go to the ASHRAE committees. It's the same guys to, a lot of times, or a lot of yeah. the same people sitting on these. So, so there's a lot of of crosstalk between these. So there's a been a good understanding, and you know, and even c- coming in Chicago, HRI ASHRAE, the show. You know, the the big of annual event for for equipment every year is, uh, co-sponsored between, um, between, between those, those organizations. So. Oh, okay. Interesting. So it's, you know, a long-term standing relationship. So, you know, like I said, they've been around since 1888. I started out, uh, basically as an organization of ice machine manufacturers who, who got tired of the, you know, the, the biggest liar wins and decided that they, needed some standardized way to measure performance of, of ice machines. Mm-hmm. I don't know why zoom keeps popping stuff up on me. Uh, um, uh, so, um, and then, you know, since 1953, they've been the air conditioning and refrigeration Institute since 58, they've been certified unitary air conditioners. So, you know, long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, Long, long history so you know <clears throat> so there are two standards in HRI that that are the listing standards the 210 240 and the 340 360 uh they those used to be different standards somehow they got combined they they uh, um they put that slash with kept both numbers and coming soon in the future years actually there's going to be a brand new standards because a lot of these metrics are changing i'll talk about hmm. that in a little bit but uh, a lot of that's going away. So basically, 210-240 is what DOE calls residential, what the um, HRI calls unitary small. It's anything under five tons, anything under 65,000 BTUs. And that's the product that's rated in SEER. So it's it's you know about 80% of the HVAC markets under five tons, and it's dominated by residential equipment, most of that being single-phase residential
0: equipment. 85%?
1: yeah some some i yeah. don't know the, the yeah, exact number like but it's 80 85 some a huge amount of of the equipment sold in the world is, is residential equipment just because there's so many you know houses compared to just how many commercial sure. buildings there are so uh uh 340 360 is the commercial um side that's anything from five tons basically up up to uh They call it unitary large and then unitary very large up to 760,000 BTUs, which is about 63 tons. So Mm. above 63 tons, even though, you know, in our business, you know, that doesn't seem that big. Because the companies that I represent and the stuff that that you know the your companies represent sell a lot of equipment over 63 tons. Mm-hmm. Um, the the amount of equipment sold in the market is relatively small, so that's kind of where the cutoff point for uh, certification of products is. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um, and both of those standards basically use that ASHRAE standard 37, which is the method of test. How do you actually test the equipment? So uh, along comes uh, DOE and, and basically along with DOE is uh, in our, in our can, which is, you know, the Canadian uh, version of DOE (coughs) and, and they are the national listing and basically Canada tries to because of the close relationship between us and Canada and we spent ship a lot of equipment across the border going both directions. Uh, they they try to keep everything aligned. But um, in 1975, at, uh, Congress passed the Energy Policy Act, uh, some EPCA or EPAC, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Mm-hmm. In 1975, that is the law that created the U.S. Department of Energy, and it also created uh, the um, basically the ability of the U.S. department of energy to regulate HVAC products or any energy consuming products. Now, when you go to DOE and talk to them, they call our HVAC un- units appliances. That always annoys me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, they, they regulate appliances. In, like in, irons uh,
0: and yeah, uh, washing, washing
1: machines? machines. Like, like irons and washing machines. So <laughs> and EPAC is a list of products, a very long list of products that they can regulate, you know, and air conditionings in there, and fans are in there, and compressors mm-hmm. are in there, and, and and light bulbs were in there. That's the reason you can't buy an incandescent light bulb anymore. That's oh. why you you buy a new washing machine, it doesn't dry the dishes very. Uh, uh, a dishwasher it doesn't dry the dishes, or the dryer right, doesn't right. dry your clothes. You know, the 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 newer equipment's much more energy efficient, which means it's probably a lot uses a lot less energy so so sometimes right. it takes a little longer to to do its job <laughs> so um so well the
0: most efficient air conditioner is the one that's off right
1: right the, the most efficient kind of air conditioner is the one that, that's off so so uh so in 1975 uh doe had had the ability to regulate all these products well it took them a little while it actually took them to 2013 to get around to air conditioners. They were too busy doing electric motors and dishwashers and refrigerators and and uh, and light bulbs. So, mm-hmm. so, so it really wasn't until relatively recently in the whole scheme of of the history of DOE that they've had that they've actually regulated um, air conditioners. So, and, <laughs> and 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 so when they did that, you know. The, uh, you know I, I and I've said earlier, which you turned into sound bites on different YouTube you know the compliance division, the first time I met them were were about a dozen lawyers and one engineer and and some bureaucrats. so so you know they don't have a lot of technical expertise, especially in the enforcement compliance division. So typically what they do is they rely on industry, which is good. They rely on industry mm-hmm. trade standards. so they, they copy and paste into the federal register, making it federal regulations or federal law, basically, uh, the standards from HRI and which reference back to the standards for ASHRAE. So Mm -hmm. so every three years, EPAC, once they've started regulating a product, every three years, uh, U.S. Department of Energy has to look at that energy efficiency of that product and decide whether it's good, or whether they need to bump up the efficiency. And, hmm. and of course they rarely decide that it's good and they almost always bump it up. Right. So, right. so basically now, now, um, if you look at ASH, uh, ASHRAE 90.1, which sets the minimum efficiency standards for, for products, uh, which, which we say is, is the standard of care or, or you know, the, or good practice to, uh, um, those have to be done with DOE and HRI. So this this process has got really complicated mm. to actually make a change. The other thing that that happened it, because of HRI, I'm, I mean, because of DOE, is in EPAC is a clause that says there is no backsliding. So, so uh, if you make an energy efficiency, if you say the SEER has to be 15 SEER, next year you can't decide that, that uh you know uh 14 sears okay can't go back Uh, you can't go back so so that's caused some problems recently because you know this year in January 2023 um they wanted to change they want to change some of these test procedures and change some of the listing standards because uh and and so that would have caused the energy levels to go down so that that caused some problems which we'll Mm. talk about here in a minute so uh, so I've been really involved in a lot of this. I've, you know, I've been in ASHRAE since 1982, even though they say 1985, because I missed paying my dues one year <laughs> in 1984, apparently, but no matter, you know, I've, I've been involved in a bunch of things in, in, in ASHRAE. I haven't been involved in 90.1. I know a lot of people that are, I, you know, I always said I've, I've, I've stayed on technical committees. I've stayed off the standards committees. I've tried, tried not to, to get involved in the standards as much, but then I got involved in HRI and I got involved in a lot of standards. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I, I've been doing that really uh, since 2006 uh, for uh, intensely, I guess, or putting Mm -hmm. a lot of being there. And I've been on the board director, I've been on the board of directors of both those organizations and and right now uh, I'm the a member of the, uh, I was a member of the Unitary Leadership Council, which is kind of the the, the overs- head oversight committee for uh, Unitary Equipment. Right now I'm on the Applied Leadership Council. So uh, just recently they put me on there. So, and then DOE, I was at that negotiated rulemaking in 2013 when, when we first started regulating air conditioners because, you know, being lawyers, they decided to change change a couple of words in one of the standards. And and uh I calculated that that Aeon was gonna have to to test nine trillion units per year. <laughs> because <laughs> I remember re- you talking <laughs> about <that. laughs> every and, filter, yeah, every different yeah. pressure drop. Yeah. And yeah. and a good friend of mine who was also on that committee said, Hey, you know, uh, I'm from a. He was one from the main one of the mainstream manufacturers. He says, "Hey, I I figured we've got 12 million, and you can do more uh, custom stuff than we do. So I right. think you did your math wrong." And I said, "Dick, does it really matter? I mean, <laughs> nine right. trillion, 12 million, 15 right. trillion right. It doesn't it's really. Not either it's not happening. It's not happening. You know, there's you know, it just, I got uh, a question
0: mark. I'm always sure. curious about this. How, if they, if how does it work? Like, let's say the DOE has some new." whatever initiative or person there that's saying we want 30% improvement in commercial HVAC in 12 months. I mean, do you guys just say, sorry, we can't do it? Or how does that, cause obviously that's an unreasonable leap. Does that ever happen? And how does that process work?
1: Well, you know, a lot of this happens and, and really what happened in 2013, that was the first negotiated rulemaking. So, okay. So uh, prior to that, um, and HRI was really the watchdog because because Ashray being there's a difference in the types of corporations that HRI and Ashray are. Ashray cannot lobby because of the type C corporation they are, you know. Um, oh, okay. So so they don't lobby. You know, that's part of their mm-hmm. bylaws. They're part of their not for profit or non-profit. I I don't remember which one. HRI is the other one. They do lobby. So so okay, you gotcha. know we have, you know, we can go up to the hill and we can talk to people. And so um so because of that, Ashray is reluctant to go out and sue the federal government because they don't like something they're doing. Gotcha. HRI, on the other hand, as a representative of of all the HVAC industries, you know, we 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 don't have that problem. <laughs> so
0: Right right. So
1: so uh up until before 2013, you know, DOE would come out and they have, to, uh, they have to justify every time the US government puts a regulation in and a regulation is basically all those departments uh, under the constitution exist because of the commerce clause in the com- constitution. So it's about interstate commerce. The only hmm. reason the federal government has any ability to make regulations is because of interstate commerce. They have the ability to regulate interstate commerce. You know, if you were going to build the air conditioning and consume the air conditioning and never move it across the state line, then I guess DOE couldn't really tell you what to do. Oh, but but uh, well, that's uh, so 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 they are agencies under the administrative branch, under the president, um, and and they have to put laws together and there are rules around how they put these together. They have to put out a notice of a, a proposed rule and they have to publish it. And they have to go out for public review, kind of like the ashray standard process. Mm-hmm. And, and after, and they have to respond to, uh, but, but what used to happen before 2013 is then HRI would sue them. And they had mm-hmm. government lawyers and we had corporate attorneys because we had more, you know, because we were corporations and uh we had better lawyers than their, theirs and uh, hri almost always won <laughs> so mm. so you know they were getting really frustrated because they were trying to do what they considered their job and they're listening to a lot of different you know there's a lot of different consist- constituents there's there's also mm. a bunch of organizations that that are trying to get energy advocacy you know the C- sierra group all the environmental groups they're all talking there and so So DOE was having trouble getting what they wanted to get done done without getting sued and they kept losing. So they went to the department of transportation and they said, Hey, you guys pass these miles per gallon cafe standards all the time. And we know that, you know, we're dealing with these podunk HVAC guys, automotive guys, you know, they're, they're even, that's even a bigger industry, right? Yeah. With even better lawyers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, how, how do you guys get those miles per gallon? How do you keep advancing and getting better efficiency cars all the time? They said, well, we do this negotiated rulemaking. And so this negotiated rulemaking process and actually the the um, in 2013, the guy that was the facilitator for this uh, negotiated rulemaking process was from the Department of Transportation. You know, they had him come over and, and, gotcha. and oversee it. So basically so basically they get about 25 people together and there's a, you know mm-hmm. you apply and you send in your resume and uh um and there's a bigger there's a bigger group called ASRAC. i can't remember you know they're again a bunch of acronyms right mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's a bigger group and, and so they put a negotiated rulemaking group and everyone on that negotiated rulemaking group of uh, Signs a a paper when we start that says, if we all come to consensus agreement on this, we won't see you. And generally, the trade association is involved in that, too. So HRI is on there. And so it kind of breaks down into, you know, two or three teams is what really happens. You get some energy advocate guys, uh, uh, usually some people that are the guys that are asking, hey, we want to be 50% more efficient next year. Not really, uh, not really knowing what that means or what it takes to do. Right, right. You know, but that's what they'd like to do. Yeah. Uh, You've got the manufacturers who who say, well, you know, what we, what can we practically do? What can we get done and actually accomplish,
0: Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Uh, without being overly burdensome, without cratering the whole HVAC industry, because everybody still wants to buy air conditioners, you know? Right. So, so we can't, we got to do something that we can get done, practically get done. And, and then sometimes there's some, and then usually there's some end users, you know, maybe big corporations or, or some other representatives facility people from some customers, you know? So these 25 people all, all signed this agreement. And then about Every other week for three or four months, we go to Washington, D.C., sit in a windowless conference room in Washington, D.C., and argue about, you know, the difference between hot gas reheat and hot gas bypass. And,
0: oh, my gosh. You know,
1: you know it's, it's a, yeah, it's every, and, and come up, take this rule, tear it apart, put it back together until everyone signs. At the end of the day, you sign this agreement. Basically, you come up with what they call the term sheet, which is all the, the major parts of that regulation that we've all agreed to and and you know it's like any kind of good negotiation everybody's equally unhappy
0: so yeah <laughs> but, yeah
1: but yeah. it's but it's not a bad process it's an interesting process to see how that sausage is made
0: yeah for and, sure
1: and 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 that was the very first one there and and that covered uh hvac water heaters boilers and commercial refrigeration so we had a bunch of guys there you know the commercial the people that build blast freezers and grocery stores and the hvc guys we don't even know each other we've never talked
0: right it's so a completely it, different industry it's a completely
1: yeah. different industry yeah yeah you know sometimes we talk to the like gas furnace guys but the hot water pe- people we don't talk to and we don't talk to the boiler people so it was <laughs> so it was funny it was very interesting process to me to to be in that room you know and as Tim I'm Wentz, sure. who was one of the ASHRAE presidents a few years ago you know his theme was you have to be in the room and so there's a certain amount of yeah you know it's always good to be in the room and, and see how this is made mm. so so that's kind of how how I got involved in it so you know like I said ASHRAE makes that that method of test how do we test the equipment HRI does listing standards ASHRAE then along with uh, HRI um come uh figures out what is the let's see if i can
0: yeah take your time yeah how it okay. works together in the u.s look at all that stuff
1: yeah so you know hri and 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 now the and also the canadians we you know we talked to the we're we're talking to canadians in u.s doe and the canadian and intercan work pretty well together we
0: work good together we're not like constantly fighting each other you know,
1: they're not constantly fighting each other they they tend to intercan canada tends to add things on and mm. it's, they add things on about export across the border and mm-hmm. you know they check things going across the border to make sure that it's hap- it's happening at least going that way. And I'm sure we check things going this way, but since I don't build anything over there and ship it over here, I don't ever, I don't know about that, but
0: right. Right. You know they,
1: you know, we get stuff stopped at the border occasionally because it didn't quite have the, have all the things that they thought we Mm -hmm. ought to have, you know, and it's, you know, it's, you know, if you built dealt with building inspectors, you know, it's, it's like, you know, every building inspector interprets things just a little bit different. So, Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that kind of, uh, Happen. So basically, they all get together. And so before we can change those levels in 90.1, basically, we all have to agree how, how that's going to happen. The other thing that happens is since it's every three years, a lot of times there are things in the standards that we found problems with in the last revision. It's like any standard. As you start using it or start testing it, this, this doesn't quite work real well. Mm-hmm. You want to tweak this or tweak that. And now it has to go all the way through the process through all these different agencies. So uh, so basically, most of the HVAC industry complies with, but uh, DOE has the big hammer. So DOE can, um, can stop me. Basically, they have the authority to regulate manufacturers. So they will come out and say, hey, in January 1st, 2023, you cannot sell a three-phase piece of, of under five-ton equipment with a sear into this certain area less than 15. You cannot manufacture that piece of equipment and offer it for sale in that area. Mm-hmm. And and if I violate that as a manufacturer, they they have all the power that the IRS has. They can find me. It's a big me, deal. They, so, yeah, it's a big deal. They can find mm-hmm. me. They can find me so many so much per day for every unit I ship, or they can even come in and at, at some point. Mm. They have the authority come in and padlock the doors, just like the IRS. Wow. If you don't pay your taxes, they can shut you down, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's civil. In Canada, it's criminal. So I, oh. I was, uh, it's it's interesting. So no, the director of engineering for Aon does not, and I was the director of engineering for Aon at the time, does not get thrown in jail in the U.S. for violating this. But but in Canada, (laughs) it can be criminal. So uh, there again, that's one of those other little tweak things. At least that's what what I've heard. But anyway, so most of us. So to comply with that, um, HRI basically has a method that they've been using for 60 years. Every Every year we test 20% of our basic model groups and that's how many categories do we test from? That was the thing that DOE messed with back in 2013 that got everybody's attention. Mm. They, they redefined basic, basic model groups and HRI for unitary equipment basic is compressor capacity plus or minus 5% and condenser coil square foot area. So for all practical purposes in a given model, it's a tonnage. So if I have a, uh, whether I have a digital compressor or a variable speed compressor or a two-step compressor, if they're all within 5% of capacity, uh, they can all be in the same basic model. And then HRI will pick at random from your offerings and tell you exactly what to build, whether it be variable speed or whatever, anything you have a different energy efficiency for. And you test those in an independent lab to make sure that you are Correct, and you, mm-hmm. you test them, and they have to be within five percent. Or, or you fail, and you pay a big fine. And if you're under the federal, uh, and so every day HRI ships off or syncs their database to DOE. Mm. So if I fail a test and it and it fails below that fifteen seer, DOE knows about it, and then you get to go talk to them. Mm. So. Uh, HRI tests a lot of equipment. It's very expensive to belong to HRI for a manufacturer. They get a percentage mm-hmm. of your sales, actually. It's a small. Oh, percent. really? I didn't know it's that. It's a small percent, but it's a percentage of your sales. Gotcha. Uh, so the more you sell, you know, the bigger the company is, the more you, you sell, the more you do, you, mm-hmm. the more you pay HRI that, you know, so there's lots of testing involved. Mm-hmm. DOE is testing everything from light bulbs to refrigerators to air conditioners. So, mm-hmm. The odds of you actually getting tested under the DOE regulation, and you can just list with DOE. You can go in and list directly with DOE, but most manufacturers, because we want to do the right thing and because we need that structure of force testing every so many years to make sure that we keep everything current, we most people list with HRI, and that automatically lists you with DOE. Mm-hmm it's just that as a, as a government agency, DOE can't say you have to list with HRI because HRI isn't part of the government. That would be a monopoly and they can't create that, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, we could, you could start Tony's listing agency next week and, and you could do this, strike the same deal HRI has with DOE if you want to do that. So.
0: Yeah. If you <laughs> right. guys want to give me a percentage of all your give sales, a percentage sales, yeah, yeah, take so it.
1: you'll take it. Right. But, uh, so um, so that's what that certification standard is. You know, HRI 210, 240 does up to five tons, 340, 360 does uh, um, up up to 760,000 for some products. Uh, water and evap cooled equipment goes up to 250, heat pumps go up to uh, 250. So there, there's some limitations, like water source heat pumps only go up to 11 tons. Mm-hmm. so so there, you know historically have been different ranges and that's part of the thing that gets discussed all the time with DOE and HRI and and, and ASHRAE and 90.1 has listings above that but they're not getting tested you know because they're not in mm. a certification program and part of that is that you know there is a limitation to how big a laboratory you can build and if it, there isn't enough market in there it's not worth building an end of you know uh, there are basically, in the U.S., there are three testing agencies that do all the testing for HRI and DOE, the independent mm-hmm. testing agencies. Uh, Underwriters Laboratory, UL, uh, ETL, which is Electrical Testing Laboratories, part of Intertech, used to be Edison, used to be Thomas Edison's company, Edison yeah. Testing Laboratories, and C- and uh, uh, Canadian Standard, you know, CSA. Canadian. CSA, okay, yeah so csa also does testing canadian standards association does testing so those three people do almost all the independent testing for for everyone and there's just a you know for them to build a new laboratory to test a 300 ton unit you know right it, it it it's just not there, there's no payback for them right they can't they can't uh you know there's no uh profit you know uh There's no payback.
0: There's just not a lot of them. Yeah.
1: There's just not a lot of them. So. So basically DOE copies 210, 240 and 340, 360. We hit, we, you know, we as the industry always watch them really close because they, they want to change a few things and, Mm -hmm. and, and make sure, sure that, uh, goes through and goes in there right and then every three years they are revised by by federal law so the the thing that's happened in 2013 is up to that point point in time to list with hri is voluntary so even though a lot of jurisdictions said that you had to have listed products you know we want to want if you're bringing something into my city if it we want to be sure that people are telling the truth and it's the right efficiency uh there was Mm -hmm. no federal law that says you can't do it now there is a federal law that says i can't offer it they say the term they use is "offer into commerce so i can't offer it for sale unless it unless it's listed in the doe database and and so like i said most people do that so <clears throat> so you i kind of talked about this you know uh about that update you can self-certify to doe you can go online most people use the HRI database because it's easier to look at. There is a national DOE database for equipment. It's hard to search and hard to find things in, but mm-hmm. but it is there, and you can list directly there. There's because they can't mandate that you do anything else. Um, <clears throat> so twenty, like I said, twenty percent. Uh, and typically, anything up to uh, twenty tons, they you for HRI certification, you build three samples. So, so I build three units. They come in and say, "I want to test that one." They pick a, uh, randomly pick among the three that that you test, and then they you ship it off to Plano, Texas, where there's a UL and an ETL laboratory, or Cortland, New York, where there's an ETL laboratory, mm-hmm. and and they test it. And make sure that that it that meets that requirement. Those labs are ISO 17025 qualified labs, and 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 basically, if you fail that test with HRI, there's a ten thousand dollar fine. They publish on their website this product is relisted. That's not you know. My marketing people really don't like it. They say, "Hey, I cheated and I relisted <laughs> this product." So, I, like like I said, you know, the failing test is the easiest way for for uh, the chief engineer of a Organization to lose his job. Oh, it's that (laughs) serious.
0: Yeah. So, so it's a, you know,
1: the salespeople really don't like it if you've got, if your listing says, Hey, I had to revise this. And if you fail any point in that test, any of the things, you have to re rate everything in that basic model group. So, if I fail a digital compressor, I have to re rate my variable speed down by that percentage, however much I failed it by. So, it's, yeah, it's a big deal. And that's why all manufacturers have laboratories and do a lot of testing. Cause it's very important that we know what our equipment does.
0: Right. Cause what you spit out on paper usually yeah. doesn't like happen in the real okay. world sometimes.
1: So, so in, in uh, 2019, the annual budget for HRI was, was $20 million mm. to test. The annual budget in that same year was uh, $10 million for DOE. And that was testing everything from light bulbs to air conditioners. So, wow. So, uh, so, you know just for air conditioning you know we were more than twice what 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 they were at that time mm-hmm. so um <clears throat> so let's kind of talk about what we're listing what are these metrics so for unitary equipment 210 240 there's eer under hri we we have eer SEER, and hfpf which is for heat pumps
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: so um and now it's SEER2 and HFPF2 for, for single phase. And I'll talk mm-hmm. about that here here in a minute. Uh, for uh, for bigger equipment, over five tons, up to 63 tons for the most part, it's EER, which is full load capacity, IER, and IER and SEER are both part load. They're basically weighted averages at part load conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh. And then in 2029, for IER, there's going to be a new metric called IVEC. And, and if for heat pumps, right now, there's only a full load COP at 47 degrees. That's the only listing point, both federally and in HRI. But there's going to be a new part load uh, uh, in 2029. And and you were asking about you know how quick, I want to do it next week. A lot of these things get, you know, we're that that those new standards are written now, but but it's gonna take till 2029 because it's mm-hmm. completely retesting everything in the industry because the standard's that much different. So so basically it's out two cycles. There's you know, there was a 2023 mm-hmm. cycle, there's gonna be a 2026, we're gonna go up in efficiency, and then in 2029, we're gonna have these new metrics. Got it. And uh, so the US Department of Energy. But the U.S. Department of Energy, by EPAC, can only regulate one thing. So DOE requires that you have capacity, SEER, I, uh, EER, and IER, you know, so they can regulate as many as they want. But but in DOE can only regulate one metric. And for a long time, they just regulated full load power. And one of the things that we did in 20, uh 13 was talking them into going to SEER. I mean, they did SEER for residential, but for uh, commercial equipment, it was just EER. Now they regulate IER, but they can't regulate both. In, in mm. uh, HRI, you have to meet both. Whatever you say is EER and whatever you say is IER. So they had to pick one, and, and that's what they, they picked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Generally, most, most engineers think, well, I want to know the part load efficiency because our equipment never runs at full load. But if, you, but if you talk to people from utility companies, they're really concerned with what the full load capacity is because they want to know how many amps is this going to draw on the worst day because that determines how many power plants do they have to build. So so uh, so the utility people are always really concerned with the EER. So EER, which, which is the basis of all, all these things, is basically the cooling capacity in BTUs per hour divided by the watts. You know, So it's just cooling capacity over watts, so it's kind of an efficiency. Um, you know, if, if it was a percent efficiency, it'd be cooling capacity in watts divided by watts. And so if you go over to Europe, they talk about, you know, watts per watts as a percentage. But it's, it's, it's just... You know, we use BTUs per hour being ugly Americans and (laughs) we still use British thermal units, even though the British don't use them. We're hanging in there, baby. (laughs) We're hanging in there. And, you know, when I was in school, we were going to change the metric system. I'm still waiting. (laughs) So, you know, 40, 40 years ago, it it would have probably been easier, but, you know, that's not where we're at. Right. So, and both of those are measured at 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh uh dry bulb and 75 wet bulb for outdoors and then the indoor condition on both on on all these are 80 degrees and 67 so uh so that's kind of a mixed air temperature because Mm -hmm. all these tests just look at the return air coming into the coil uh you have an indoor room and an outdoor room the outdoor room you keep at 95 75 the indoor room you keep at 80 67 and that's kind of the uh, equivalent mixed air with some amount of outside air. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not right anymore because we use more outside air and we don't have uh, uh, fluorescent ballast heating up the plenum anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so there's, so I don't know that those are the right numbers anymore, but that's what we test at and always have. And if you go changing any of these, that changes the efficiency and that might make your EER, IER go down, which would uh, cause problems if you couldn't get to where you needed to be. So, so seasonal efficiency ratio for five tons is SEER in you know SEER products because the because of the size of the volume of units sold in that residential market which is enormous you know the people in SEER uh, do a lot of testing and and basically the tests are run at 95, 82, and 67 outdoor dry bulb temperatures and they're weighted between the two and there's a different calculation if it's multi-step if it's just an on off compressor um but typically the heaviest weighting's at 82 so if you have an 82 degree outdoor test that that's very very efficient (coughs) unit that runs very efficient at at 82 you'll get the best sear so um, the other thing if it has to cycle a compressor to hit any of the of these load points to run at 67 outside and 80, 67. If you got to cycle the compressor to maintain capacity at that point, um, then then they have a cyclic factor, and you can either test that cyclic factor, or you can um, <clears throat> or you can either test for it, or or you can take the default. The default's two. So what that really means is that the default factor is if I have to turn a compressor off and back on. Uh, it's going to cost me 20% of the energy basically to bring it back, turn it off, and turn it back on. Mm. So, there's a 20% loss of to do that when every time you have to do that. So, uh, now that's- it when you actually test it, it's never that bad. Mm-hmm. And it, that test has a lot to do with re evaporation of the water that's on the evaporator, or when you shut it off, then all the water that that's on the evaporator goes back into the space. So you have a negative latent load capacity while that's going on. And then you when you turn on, you have to get the refrigerant moving, but, and, and when you actually do the test, you can do it five times, get five different numbers a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a n- random number generator, but kind of the best I've ever seen is like 0.09. And the worst I've seen about 0.18. So somewhere between tw- 10 and 20% is probably the right number. Mm-hmm. For what it's actually going to cost to cycle a compressor. That's why, you know, when we talked about earlier in one of our other programs, we talked about different compressor technologies. That's why variable speed or digital are so much better. If you keep mm-hmm. that compressor running and not Just have keep to it cycle going, it yeah. off, it's 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 way more efficient. So, and then for a heating season, you've got HFPF for for unitary for unitary small sixty two forty seven thirty five and seventeen. If it will run there and five, it'll run there. So, you know, basically uh, there are some conditions where that equipment may not run. You may block it out. You're just gonna go in electric resistance heat. And the indoor temperature is 70 degrees and uh, 60 wet, 70 dry bulb, 60 wet bulb for the indoor return air temperature during the heating season. And, and there again, that 47 degree test is, the if you get a good 47 you get a good hfpf and then generally at 47 you don't have to do defrost so that's one of the kind of Mm -hmm. interesting things about heat pumps is the ratings are all weighted heavily for commercial equipment it's all at 47 it's just the you know basically the cop at 47 and even with hfpf it's heavily weighted at 47 the one condition that you do not have to turn defrost on and defrost is a efficiency killer Oh yeah, or a heat pump. So, so uh, you yeah. know, because it's it's kind of like that cyclic factor. You're losing a lot when you have to turn go into defrost. Yeah, and there again, there's another twenty uh, percent if you have to stage compressors on and off to meet that capacity. Uh, okay, so um, IER is the energy efficiency ratio for stuff above 5 tons it's way simpler because it's 100% 75% 25% or 50% and 25% and then at 95 81 and a half 68 and 65 degrees and then these are the weighting factors and there you can see 23.8% is at 50% 61.7 is at 75%. So 75% is the heavy weighted factor on that. And you know, I don't feel terrible about that. I've been in lots of buildings. If you go into a commercial building, you know, and a lot of chillers and air handlers, if you go inside and walk up to a, uh, in a fan room in a commercial building and look at the VFD, it's usually running right around 75% when the building's occupied. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of hours there that run about that, that load. That just, but, you know, but these are, uh, kind of artificial at one set of weather conditions. These are not numbers that you can put into an energy program and actually right. figure out how many BTUs per square foot per, per year your building's going to use. It just gives you an idea when you're comparing brand X to brand Y. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then coefficient of heat pumps is just heating energy in watts divided by heating power in watts. So for a heat pump typically the COP is greater than one, you know, because you are pumping heat out of the outside air so you're getting more energy heating energy out than you're putting in if you have electric resistance uh heat the cop is typically close to one Mm -hmm. all that energy going into that electric resistance heater is being turned into heat into the air inside so so that's why people like heat pumps because they do have a cop better than one uh you know they're they're up three three and a half at at 47 degrees, you know. So mm-hmm. you're getting three, three, three and a half times more energy than you're putting into it in heat at 47 degrees, you know, as mm-hmm. we look at low ambient heat pumps, uh, that COP goes down as you get colder and colder because there's less heat out there to pump. So mm-hmm. but it's usually still even at zero, it's you know 1.8, 1.6, 1.8 kind of thing. So it's better than just electric resistance heat if you can get your equipment to run. So <clears throat> So uh, the ashrae ninety point one and the DOE regulations kicked in this year, twenty January first, twenty twenty three. You'll see another round in January first, twenty twenty six. See another round in January first, twenty twenty nine. And what happened this year is is the energy level got up, especially uh, well, really for all the equipment. It went up enough that it almost eliminated. Single-step on-off compressors. So, if this was a big deal for the residential market, if you have a, a a residential air conditioner that is still using a just on-off compressor, you have an enormous condenser. That's the mm-hmm. only way you can meet this, and and it's just ragged edge because it's almost to the point of diminishing returns on this. So, mm-hmm. so uh, so to meet those efficiencies to make meet that good. 82 degree load point, which is kind of like a 75% load on a house.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: uh, you're gonna start seeing people put more two steps or or variable speed equipment in there. And certainly in 2026 and, and in 2029. So <clears throat> so and the other thing that happened in, in 2023 is the the static pressures that are measured are extremely low. And they've been that way since HRI started testing this. And it's it's a little bit embarrassing to be mm-hmm. part of the industry, but that's, this is where they are. And I, the next chart will show you where they are. So what happened in 2023 for residential only, because this was negotiated with DOE, for single phase equipment only, they raised the external static on things under five tons to half an inch external, which mm-hmm. is about, about right for a residential application. So. Uh, but when they did that it it changed it basically made it extremely difficult with a half inch external that was too much energy and you couldn't couldn't meet that 15 sear anymore uh so so they had to implement because of this new backsliding rule They we had a dilemma they wanted to raise it up change that test standard it a more regional static pressure but it was going to make the numbers go down and the federal law didn't allow that so the doe lawyers came up with this brilliant idea they called it seer two and because it's a different metric the number can go down so it's a it's a loophole in the law basically implemented by the government lawyers
0: yep we did a presentation on that and it to folks who are not in the engineering side of it and you know it's it's just so confusing yeah, you know it's so hard to explain why that is, but anyway.
1: So, so these are the static pressures, the standard static pressures. So, you know, a five-ton unit was tested at two tenths of an inch external, which is very mm-hmm. low. A sixty-three-ton unit is tested at 0.75 inches of static. Mm. And 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 for three-phase equipment, these still all apply. The statics going up for um, for residential. This went up this year. In 2026, it'll go up for commercial. Both those standards are being rewritten, Mm -hmm. and they're going to include more fan energy, and they're going to take into account economizers and heat recovery and some of the other things that that, uh, that aren't taken into account now. So it's a completely different test standard, and they're Mm -hmm. raising these static pressures up you know, three or four times what they were before. So gotcha. So it's going to be a better standard, but it's going to be a brand new metric. And and for big equipment, that's for all this big equipment, that's going to be out in 2029. The other thing on SEER is SEER is regional standards. So it's it's a hot, wet south, you know, southeast, hot, dry southwest, and cold climates.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and uh one of the kind of interesting things are because Part of that, you know, if you think about the industry, when if you're a person that builds residential units and you're selling them to distributors and they've got them in a warehouse, and then all of a sudden, January 1st, the standards change and you can't offer them into commerce, that's a bit of a problem, right? Hmm. I've got all these pieces of equipment that don't comply. And and so um, so in the Southwest and Southeast, they said, okay, we're going to let you... You have to comply. If you got it in your warehouse, you can't you can't uh, install it after January first, twenty twenty three. But if you got it in the warehouse, you could ship that up north, and we'll let you install it because that's based on date of manufacture, not date of install. So mm-hmm. uh, now, what really happened in January first, twenty twenty three? Nobody had anything in stock because of supply chain shortage, so it really didn't matter. But, but that was, this is one of those negotiation things that takes place among, you know, this is where the manufacturers went to DOE and said, we just can't do that.
0: Mm-hmm. We,
1: we're not good enough to time this to not have anything in stock, especially in the small residential stuff. Right. So, uh, so these are the numbers. So the, the top number and, uh, you know, there's the north, the southeast. And for Aon, we kind of pick Southeast because we do a high select, because I don't want to get involved with people bootlegging uh, units from Minnesota into Texas. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah. because, you know, in, in the North, I could have a 13.4 seer, but in the Southeast, I have to be a, a 14.3 seer two. Or a four, I have to have a fourteen seer in the north, but I but in in the southeast I have to be a fifteen. So mm-hmm. from Aon standpoint, when we look at these, we always say, hey, we're just going to build equipment that meets the worst case scenario. So I don't have to pay attention to where I build it for. But you can build it for. I mean, you can have different efficiency levels that mm-hmm. you maybe you can't sell everywhere. Right. So so especially in the in the so there there are these regional standards. For, for the large equipment, what's coming in 2029 is this IVEC and IVHE. And actually, Kevin Tickle of Aon, who I know you know and you probably had on your podcast at some point, he's really proud of these because he was on this committee, and I think he actually invented these acronyms. So Kevin's really <laughs> proud of it. So, <laughs> uh I know he was very much involved involved in this, and so the static went up two to three times. It's also looking at economizers, which was one of the things that we've always just kind of ignored. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's looking at a lot of different things. They're also looking at when they look at they're working on a new standard for the small stuff. They're going to look at off mode power. So how much energy does your crankcase heater take when the unit's off? You said nothing's better than off, but if you've got a heat, but you may have a crankcase heater that's keeping the oil warm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it it's really efficient, you know it's it's not using much power, but it is still using power, so that matters so so yeah. there's a lot more things in these new standards that they've spent a lot of time, and we're getting a part load efficiency uh, metric for for heat pumps, which is long overdue so um how are we doing on time uh we've we've been talking for a while, but it's okay. I'll get kind of wrap wrap this up. So, uh so I'm going to talk a little bit, and, and I've got some pictures. Actually, these are my psychometric chambers in, mm-hmm. in our lab. So, so I, these are the ones I've got familiar with. So this 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 is a picture of what we typically call an over under chamber. If you build roof equipment, over under chambers are good. So the upper chamber, the floor in between is kind of like the roof. The upper chamber, we put a box around it, and we create weather in there, and we can make it 95. 75 up there Mm -hmm. or whatever temperature it needs to be or you know in our chambers we go down to minus 20 in those chambers wow upstairs so that's that's how we've developed that zero degree heat pump that aeon has now uh the downstairs chamber is kind of boring because it's usually kept at 80 67 today but i think that that will probably change under the new standards so part of what has to go on is everybody has to make sure they're equipped their standards and their equipment so you put the equipment in there. You, you have an indoor room and an outdoor room, and and you run that equipment. So, like I said, you go into the – this is a big unit going into one of our big outdoor rooms. <laughs> and once you put that in there, you hang these sampling trees. These little PVC pipes has a bunch of holes drilled in it. Mm-hmm. And so when I say it's 80-67 or I say it's 75 uh, or ninety five seventy five. I have to, that's at the sampling trees. So this little hose here has got a little fan on it that's pulling air through all those holes. Those holes have to cover 80% of the condensing area, goes into this little box, uh, which we call a psychrometer. And uh, downstairs, it goes down into a duct into an airflow meter. And both of them have psychrometers. So in the inlet duct and the outlet duct and that outside, you have this little box. It's got a little fan. It's got a little airflow air meter sitting in there. You've got <laughs> two high-precision temperature sensors. One of them has a cotton sock that goes down to a little vat of of distilled water. So it's nothing more than an automated sling, sling psychrometer. You know, you we know, run 12-hour shifts. Too. yeah. yeah. You know we run 12 hour shifts and somebody's arm would get really tired in a 12 hour shift if you had to keep measuring that all the time <laughs> yeah I bet but uh even today the most accurate way most reliable and accurate way to do long-term measurements of of moisture content in the air is still a cotton sock on a thermometer isn't that it seems funny? kind of amazing but you know uh, you pay a lot of money to get a two or three percent of fish uh, uh accurate yeah, humidity sensor, and that's not anywhere close. I, I can measure wet bulb, to, you know, within a thousandth of a degree or something with an RTD. It's it's very very accurate. So nice. uh, the only thing that comes close is what they call chilled mirror sensors, where they have a little solid state uh, uh, cooling chip glued to the back of a mirror, and they'll mm-hmm. cool that mirror down to a temperature they're looking for dew point by shining a laser on it. Mm -hmm. and and it's very accurate because you can pick that dew point very accurately but it cycles on about once a minute so you only get a reading once a minute and it once once it's gone through several cycles the mirror starts getting dirty and then it gets drifts off so
0: Mm.
1: so it's they we really haven't come up with a good sensor other than a cotton sock on a thermometer which it seems very very old school but uh sometimes the old school stuff just works right yeah for sure Uh, so uh but of course, now we, you know, we've got all this into computers and, mm-hmm. and computer racks, and it's all automated. And, and typically, when you're doing this test, you're, you have to stabilize those rooms so that the temperature coming into those coils and the temperature leaving the coil coming into the unit, leaving the unit, coming into the unit. But the temperatures in the rooms have to be stabilized within half a degree of wet bulb and dry bulb. And you have to hold it there for 30 minutes to be sure mm. you're there. And then you hit the record button and you record once a second for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it takes an hour to actually do one temperature point, that 175 wow. percent point or 100% point. Uh, takes an hour to do that. Takes a couple hours to, to change those rooms and get them that stable.
0: Mm-hmm. At least.
1: As you go into lower and lower temperatures, it even takes longer. So a really good day in the lab is, uh, with a unit in one of these chambers is four data points i can do an ier in a day if, if everything goes great right
0: which uh, happens rarely i'm sure
1: oh yeah so the average in the lab last time i looked was like 3.8 data points a day you know
0: gotcha so,
1: so uh there's a lot of money that goes in these labs and yeah, it's very sure. painful to do the testing but that's what it takes to really get accurate readings but right. the other thing is these are all very much so, so uh steady state reading so Mm -hmm. i always tell people that i know a whole lot about what our air conditioners do at four data points at four weather conditions basically you know right outside of that uh we don't do a lot of testing because people buy things on EER and 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 Mm -hmm. on ier and SEER. and so we spend a lot of time testing for ier and SEER. they're not buying it on what it does at any point in between yeah. Or any oddball point. So uh, that's one of the challenges for the future is to figure out how to predict that and verify that. So, uh, like I said, it, it you know, it can take up to four hours when you're hitting low temps to get these things. Mm-hmm. stable. So so we've got all these test standards. And and so people say, well, you know, Okay, I've got a. I'm looking up at, I'm going to put two five ton units on there, or I'm going to put a 10. How do I compare SEER to IER? Well, there are apples and oranges. You really can't compare the two. Um, SEER is really developed based on a residential load profile. Those weighting factors are, are built, course, assuming that everybody gets up, goes to work at eight o'clock in the morning, and everybody comes home at five o'clock at night. And, you know, so the big load is overnight and yeah. uh, not during the day ier is the opposite it assumes you show up in the building at eight o'clock in the morning and then so the the peak temperature for the day is also going to coincide with a peak occupancy so the weighting factors affect that so they're really two different animals you really can't compare ier and sear um and then if you start looking at other products if you look at unitary air cooled equipment uh and look at VRF equipment,
0: mm-hmm. they
1: both have a rating called IER, but they're not the same rating. Oh my gosh. They're That's not weird. at the same conditions. So the IER for HRI is 1230. And 1230, uh, basically the coils always dry on a VRF load test. It's never mm-hmm. does any latent load. So most people that do a lot of VRF know that they need a DOAS piece of equipment to go with it, right? Mm-hmm. Because they really mm-hmm. don't do any latent load. But right. the rooftop units consider it, it assumes you're doing late load. So, so they're testing at different test conditions. so so the IER may look a lot higher on the VRF than the air conditioner. That doesn't mean it's using that much less energy. It's just it's just different, right? So uh, unfortunately, we don't have good ways to crosstalk this stuff and we don't use mm-hmm. the same standards to, to, to talk about both of them. And then water source heat pumps are even more interesting. And all these standards, I mean, DOE has figured this out. The energy advocates have figured it out. They're pushing to try to, to 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 make them all more reasonable and more, you know, all these standards are being worked on. There's new standards for VRF. There's new standards being worked on for water source heat pumps. But water source heat pumps... Um, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, we just, HRI or the industry decided that that we wanted to use the same standard the Europeans are using because, Mm. you know, we live in a world economy. So it'd be nice Mm -hmm. if we're all using the same test standards. So we adopted this ISO uh, 13256 1
0: for water source heat pumps.
1: For water source heat pumps. Gotcha. And about the time we got it adopted, the Europeans decided that's not what they're going to test with it. And they, and they built it perfect. And they and they changed their regular air conditioning, their equivalent to two hundred ten, two hundred forty, into to accommodate water source heat pumps. So so now we got this problem. The U.S. has adopted this thirteen two fifty six <laughs> ISO standard, and no one else in the world is using it except us. And ISO is another interesting organization. ISO is International Standards
0: mm-hmm.
1: International Standards Association. That's what ISO stands for. And uh and every country gets a vote. Mm. So uh so not every member, not every manufacturer, every country gets a vote. And so because mm. no one else is using the standards, we can never get enough votes at the ISO committee to open up a new standard because we're <laughs> the only one using it. Nobody cares. Nobody right. wants to go sit on a committee for a standard that they're not using. Right, right. So and oh, you know, they have to be developed internationally. So So the U S you know, we've decided HRI in particular said, Hey, we've got to develop our own standard, Mm. but part of the weird, and this ISO standard was kind of bizarre. It actually backs all the fan energy out of it. It's a refrigeration only standard. Mm -hmm. And, and you take, you look at the static pressure and the flow through it. And it does a mathematical calculation of how much energy that should use with the, St- standard fan and you subtract that energy out of what you measure going into the unit gotcha so so if you have a better than average fan you actually get more efficiency out of your out of your 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 uh EER looks even better mm-hmm. because you, you're, you're you get something measured uh with even less power than it takes to just run the refrigeration because you got more you get some credit from having a better than average fan so uh, so if you start looking at it, even if you look at EERs for water source heat pumps and say, oh, well, I'm going to compare it to EER for a rooftop unit or a PTAC unit, they're not... They're not the same because water oranges, source heat pumps. Right. The the other ones have fan energy in them. The the water source heat pumps don't. So that's
0: a big deal. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about so, that. So
1: so you know, a lot of people look at this, and you look at these EERs and all these IERs of all this equipment. Well, these water source heat pumps, they're killer machines. They got these, you know, they got this 26 EER. That thing's really kicking. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. yeah. It's it's good. I'm not saying they're not good. It's not quite as good as you think it is. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Good point. Yeah.
1: Good point. So, you know, like you know, like I said, going forward, you know, uh, there's constant negotiations. There there are new standards being worked on. Uh, uh, I'm not working on them anymore. I'm just sitting back and watching. But uh, but there's a lot of smart people working on new standards, and you know, so we're going to raise static pressure there's also some new stuff going on um that that I have in another talk that we that I that we've talked about where I talked about the future future metrics that we might want to go to where we're looking at at ASHRAE 205 data and better models of equipment and actually right. being able to model the equipment in the building and get a reasonable answer for how many BTUs per square foot per year the building we use but uh for right now yeah, we're
0: squeezing a lot out of the equipment i think we're yeah
1: And we're, and we're going to hit, we're going to max out, you know, Mm -hmm. at some point we can't just, there's a theoretical maximum that we're going to hit. That's right. uh, When we have no Delta T to drive across the surfaces anymore, they're so big that there's (laughs) no Delta T across them. We're not going to move any heat. You know, that's just basic thermodynamics
0: right right so it costs three times as much and and, and to get you know one efficiency out of it right
1: so you know we're 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 going to hit the point of diminishing returns in some cases we're already there so yep for sure so anyway that that was a lot of different a lot of history i don't know that there was a lot i didn't teach you much math so (laughs)
0: That was great. And that was a lot of good information. A lot of this stuff there I I'd forgotten about. So I'm glad you brought it up and for the viewers, Mark has offered to share these slides. So if you want to email me, my emails, if you're watching this live, just scroll down my emails down there. If you're watching this in the future on our uh, YouTube channel or podcast, email me and I'll give you the, it, the, my email will be in the show description. So you could just email me there. So, um, Mark, thanks again, man. You you've come on the show and helped us out a bunch. We appreciate yeah. you. Any any last
1: words for the audience? No, uh, I'll, it's always fun to be on your show, Tony. You're uh, you always drag stuff out of me that I don't think about.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a great guest. I appreciate yeah. you your you know wealth and knowledge, and thanks for all you do for the HVAC community as a whole. And I'm glad you deal you dealt with yeah. the Washington people. And other people have to do that because I'm not sure I'd have the patience for that. So
1: no, it's, it's, it's uh, you know it's it's actually fun. Uh, you know, yeah. You, you know, any kind of engineer looks like a rocket scientist <laughs> when you go up to DC. Sometimes, and you're talking. Yeah, to lawyers, yeah, so I, I get it. It's, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun just because you know you know something more than they do <laughs> for sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark, and
0: and yeah. just as a goodbye to everybody, thank you for this amazing day. We've had a lot of fun. We blipped out there for a minute, came back on, and I think we got most of our people back on, so that's great. Um, and we'll definitely do this again. We're going to, this is the third year we've done it. So next year we'll, you know, we'll do it again and and see how it goes. And, um, yeah. So if you need your PDH certificates, just scroll down to the bottom of the screen. Or if you're again, if you're watching this in the future, just email me and I'll, I'll get those to you. So we'll, you know, we'll close this thing out. We'll play a little more Christmas music on the way out. Courtney and Heather, if you could hang out for a minute and Mark, thank you so much and have a Merry Christmas and I'll see you. Yep. And I'm
1: sure I'll see you in Chicago. All right, buddy.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.